Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is Chad Daigle, and I am going to continue now with um, episode five of my podcast featuring all right salvatore's the legend of drizzed series book one homeland starting right where i left off in the middle of chapter nine i must tell you matron sinefe massage dared to say as he and his mother made their way out of sorciere Alton de Vere is a buffoon. He might bring harm to House Honette. He survived the fall of his own house, Sinefe replied, and has played through the ruse of the faceless one for nineteen years. A buffoon, perhaps, but a resourceful buffoon at the least. Massage unconsciously rubbed the area of his eyebrow that had never grown back. I have suffered the antics of Alton de Vere for all these years, he said. He does have a fair share of luck, I admit, and I can and can get himself out of trouble, though he is usually the one that puts himself in it. Do not fear, Senefe laughed. Alton brings value to our house. What can we hope to gain? He is a master of the academy, Senefe replied. He gives my me eyes where I now need them. She stopped her son and turned to him, turned him to face her so that he might understand the implications of her every word. Alton de Vere's claim against House de Warden may work in our favor. He was a noble of the house with rights of accusation. You mean to use Alton de Vere's charge to rally the great houses in the punishing House de Warden? Massage asked. The great houses would hardly be willing to strike out for an incident that occurred almost twenty years ago, Santa Fe replied. House Dorden executed House de Vere's destruction nearly to perfection, a clean kill. To so much as speak an open charge against the Dordens now would be to invite the wrath of the great houses on ourselves. What good, then, is Alton de Vere? Massage asked. His claim is useless to us, the matron replied. You are only a male and cannot understand the complexities of the ruling hierarchy. Without Undervere's charge whispered into the proper ears, the ruling council might look the other way if a single house took revenge on Alton's behalf. To what end? Massage remarked, not understanding the importance. You would risk the losses of such a battle for the destruction of a lesser house? So thought House de Vere of House Dorden, explained Santa Fe. In our world, we must be as concerned with the lower houses as with the higher ones. All of the great houses would be wise now to watch closely the moves of Dermonachias Bernan, the ninth house that is known as Dorden. It now has both a master and a mistress serving in the academy, and three high priestesses, with a fourth nearing the goal. Four high priestesses, Massage pondered, in a single house. Only three of the top eight houses could claim more than that. Normally, sisters aspiring to such heights inspired rivalries that inevitably thinned the ranks. And the legions of House Door number more than 350, Santa Fe counted, continued, all of them trained by perhaps the finest weapon master in all the city. Zaknafian Dordan, of course, Massage recalled. You have heard of him. His name is often spoken at the academy, even in Sociere. Good, Sinefe purred. Then you will understand the full weight of the mission I have chosen for you. An eager light came to Massage's eyes. Another Dorden is soon to begin there, Sinefe explained. Not a master, but a student. By the words of those few who have seen this boy drizzed at training, he will be as fine a fighter as Zagnafian. We should not allow this. You want me to kill the boy? Massage asked eagerly. No, Sinefe replied. Not yet. I want you to learn of him, to understand the motivations of his every move. If the time to strike does come, you must be ready. Massage liked the devious assignment, but one thing still bothered him more than a little. We still have Alton to consider, 
he said. He is impatient and daring. What are the consequences if, to House Honette if he strikes House Dorden before the proper time? Might we invoke open war in the city with House Honette viewed as the perpetrator? Do not worry, my son, Matron Senefe replied. If Alton de Vere makes a grievous error while in the house in the guise of Jelrus Hunet, we expose him as a murderous impostor and no member of our family. He will be in an unhoused row with an executioner facing him from every direction. Her casual explanation put Massage at ease, but Matron Senefe, so knowledgeable in the ways of Drow society, had understood the risk she was taking from the moment she had accepted Alton de Vere into her house. Her plan seemed foolproof, and the possible gain, the elimination of the growing house to Orden, was a tempting piece of bait. But the dangers, too, were very real. While it was perfectly acceptable for one house to covertly destroy another, the consequences of failure could not be ignored. Earlier that night, a lesser house had struck out against a rival, and, if the rumors held true, had failed. The illuminations of the next day would probably force the ruling council to enact a pretense of justice to make an example of the unsuccessful attackers. In her long life, Matron Senefe had witnessed this justice several times. Not a single member of any of the aggressor houses, she was not even allowed to remember their names, had ever survived. Zack awakened Drizzt early the next morning. Come, he said. We are bid to go out of the house this day. All thoughts of sleep washed away from Drizzt at the news. Outside the house? he echoed. In all of his nineteen years, Drizzt had never once walked beyond the adamantite fence of the Dorden complex. He had only watched that the outside world of Menza Branson from the balcony. While Zack waited, Drizzt quickly collected his soft boots and his piwafwi. "'Will there be no lesson this day?' Drizzt asked. "'We shall see,' was all that Zack replied, but in his thoughts the weapon master figured that Drizzt might be in for one of the most startling revelations of his life. A house had failed in a raid, and the ruling council had requested the presence of all the nobles of the city to bear witness to the weight of justice.' Brisa appeared in the corridor outside the practice room's door. Hurry, she scolded. Matron Malice did not wish our house to be among the last groups joining the gatherings. The matron mother herself, floating atop a blue glowing disc, for matron mothers rarely walked through the city, led the procession out of House Dewarden's grand gate. Brisa walked at her mother's side, with Maya unrisen in the second rank and Rizd and Zack taking up the rear. Vierna and Dinan, attending to the duties of their positions in the academy, had gone to the ruling council's summons with a different group. All the city was astir this morning, rumbling in the rumors of the failed raid. Drift walked through the bustle wide-eyed, staring in wonderment at the close-up view of the decorated drow houses. Slaves of every inferior race, goblins, orcs, even giants, scrambled out of the way, recognizing Malice, riding her enchanted carriage as a matron mother. Drow commoners halted conversations and remained respectfully silent as the drow noble family passed. As they made their way toward the northwestern section, the location of the guilty house, they came into a lane blocked by a squabbling caravan of Dwergar, gray dwarves. A dozen carts had been overturned or locked together, apparently. Two groups of Durgar had come into a narrow lane together, neither relinquishing the right of way. Brisa pulled the snake-headed whip from her belt and chased off a few of the creatures, clearing the way for Malice to float up to the apparent leaders of the two groups. The dwarves turned on her angrily until they realized her station. Begging your pardon, madam, one of their them stammered. Unfortunate accident is all. Malice eyed the contents of one of the nearest carts, crates of giant crab legs and other delicacies. You have slowed my journey, Malice said calmly. We have come to your city in hopes of trade, the other Dwergar explained as he cast an angry glare at his counterpart, and Malice understood that the two were rivals, probably bartering the same goods to the same drow house. I will forgive your insolence, she offered graciously, still eyeing the crates. 
two door guards suspected what was forthcoming. So did Zack. We eat well tonight, he whispered to Drizzt with a sly wink. Major Malice would not let such an opportunity slip by without gain. If you can see your way to deliver half of these cards to the House of Dwarden this night, Malice finished. The Dwargar started to protest, but quickly dismissed the foolish notion. How they hated dealing with drow elves. You will be compensated appropriately. Mellows continued, House Dorton is not a poor house. Between both of your caravans, you will have enough goods to satisfy the house you came to see. Neither of the Dorgar could refute the simple logic, but under these trading circumstances, where they had offended a matron mother, they knew the compensation for the valuable foods would hardly be appropriate. Still, the Grey Dwarves could only accept it all as a risk of doing business in Menza Brandon. They bowed politely and set their troops to clear the way for the draw procession. House Tech and Dewey, the unsuccessful raiders of the previous night, had barricaded themselves within their two stalagmite structures, fully expecting what was to come. Outside their gates, all of the nobles of Menza Baranzan, more than a thousand drow, had gathered, with Matron Banray and the other seven matron mothers of the ruling council at their head. More disastrous for the guilty house. The entirety of the three schools of the academy, students and instructors, had surrounded the Tekkendui compound. Matron Malice led her group to the front line behind the ruling matrons. As she was matron of the ninth house, only one step from the council, other drowned nobles readily stepped out of her way. House Tekkendui has angered the spider queen. Matron Banray proclaimed in a voice amplified by magical spells. Only because they failed, Zack whispered to Drizzt. Prisa cast both males an angry glare. Matron Banray bade three young drow, two females and a male, to her side. These are all that remain of House Freth she explained. Can you tell us, orphans of House Freth? she asked of them. Who was it that attacked your home? House Tech and Dewey, they shouted together. Rehearsed, Zack commented. Brisa turned around again. Silence, she whispered harshly. Zack slapped Driss on the back of the head. Yes, he agreed. Do be quiet. Driss started to protest, but Brisa had already turned away, and Zack's smile was too wide to argue against. Then it is the will of the ruling council, Matron Benry was saying, that House Tech and Dewey suffer the consequences of their actions. One of the orphans of House Freth came a call from the crowd. Matron Benry stroked the head of the oldest female, a cleric recently finished in her studies at the academy. Nobles they were born, and nobles... They remain, Banry said. House Banry accepts them into its protection. They bear the name of Banry now. Disgruntled whispers filtered through the gathering. Three young nobles, two of them female, was quite a prize. Any house in the city gladly would have taken them in. Banry, whispered to Malice. Just what the first house needs, more clerics. Sixteen high priestesses is not enough, it seems, Malice answered. And no doubt, Banru, we'll take any surviving soldiers of House Freth, Brisa reasoned. Malice was not so certain. Matron Banru was walking a thin line by taking even the surviving nobles. If House Banru got too powerful, Loth surely would take exception in situations such as this, where a house had been almost eradicated, surviving common soldiers were normally pulled out to bidding houses. Malice would have to watch for such an auction. Soldiers did not come cheaply, but at this time Malice would welcome the opportunity to add her forces, particularly if there were any magic users to be had. Matron Banray addressed the guilty house. House Tekkendui, she called. You have broken our laws and have been rightfully caught. Fight if you will, but know that you have brought this doom upon yourself. The wave of her hand 
she set the academy, the dispatcher of justice, into motion. Great braziers had been placed in eight positions around House Tekindui, attended by mistresses of Arachtinolith and the highest-ranking clerical students. Flames roared to life and shot into the air as the high priestesses opened gates to the lower plains. Drist watched closely, mesmerized, and hoping to catch a glimpse of either Dinan or Vierna. Dozens, denizens of the lower plains, huge, many-armed monsters, slime-covered and spitting fire, stepped through the flames. Even the nearest high priestesses backed away from the grotesque horde. The creatures gladly accepted such servitude. When the signal from House Banry came, they eagerly descended upon House Tekindui. Glyphs and wards exploded at every corner of the house's feeble gate, but these were mere inconveniences to the summoned creatures. The wizards and students of Sociere then went into action, slamming at the top of House Tekindui with conjured lightning bolts, balls of acid and fireballs. Students and masses of Mila McFairy, the school of fighters, rushed about with heavy crossbows, firing into windows where the doomed family might try to escape. The horde of monsters bashed through the doors. Lightning flashed and thunder boomed. Sack looked at Trist, and a frown replaced the master's smile. Caught up in the excitement, and it certainly was exciting, Trist bore an expression of awe. The first screams of the doomed family rolled out from the house, screams so terrible and agonized that they stole any macabre pleasure that Drizzt might have been experiencing. He grabbed Zack's shoulder, spinning the weapon master to him, begging for an explanation. One of the sons of House Tekindui, fling a ten-armed giant monster, stepped out onto the balcony of a high window. A dozen crossbow quarrels struck him simultaneously, and before he fell dead, three separate lightning bolts are alternately lifted him from the balcony, then dropped him back onto it. Scorched and mutilated, the drow corpse started to tumble from its high perch, but the grotesque monster reached out a huge clawed hand from the window and pulled it back in to devour it. Drow justice, Zack said coldly. He didn't offer Drizzt any consolation. He wanted the brutality of this moment to stick in the young drow's mind, for the rest of his life. The siege went on for more than an hour, and when it was finished, when the denizens of the lower plains were dismissed to the braziers' gates and the students and, and instructors of the academy started their march back to Tiabrech, House Tekindui was no more than a glowing lump of lifeless molten stone. Trist watched it all, horrified, but too afraid of the consequences to run away. He did not notice the artistry of Manzo Brands on the return trip to House Dorden. Chapter 10 The Stain of Blood Zagnafian is out of the house? Malice asked. I sent him and risen to the academy to deliver a message to Vienna, Breeza explained. He shan't return for many hours, not before the light of Nabundle begins his descent. That is good, said Malish. You both understand your duties in this full farce. Brisa and Maya nodded. I have heard, never heard of such a deception, Maya remarked. Is it necessary? It was planned for another of the house, Brisa answered, looking to Matron Malice for confirmation, nearly four centuries ago. Yes, Malice agreed. The same was to be done to Zaknafian, but the unexpected death of Matron Vatha, my mother, disrupted the plans. That was when you became the matron mother, Maya said. Yes, replied Malice, though I had not passed my first century of life and was still training in Arachtinolith. It was not a pleasant time in the history of House Dorden. But we survived, said Brisa, with the with the death of a matron, Vartha, Nalfin and I became nobles of the house. The, the test on Zaknafin was never attempted, Maya reasoned. Too many other duties preceded it, Malice answered. We will try it on Drizzt, though, said Maya. The punishment of House Second Dewey convinced me that this action had to be taken, said Malice. Yes, Brice agreed. Did you notice Drizzt's? Expression.
throughout the execution? I did, answered Maya. He was revolted. Unfitting for a drow warrior, said Malus, and so this duty is upon us. Drizzt will leave for the academy in a short time. We must stain his hands with drow blood and steal his innocence. It seems a lot of trouble for a male child, Brisa grumbled. If Drizzt cannot adhere to our ways, then why do we not simply give him to Loth? I will bear no more children, Malice growled in response. Every member of this family is important, as we are to gain prominence in the city. Secretly, Malice hoped for another gain in converting Driz to the evil ways of the drow. She hated Zaknafian as much as she desired him, and turning Driz into a drow warrior, a true heartless drow warrior, would distress the weapon master greatly. On with it, then, Malice proclaimed. She clapped her hands, and a large chest walked in, supported by eight animated spider legs. Behind it came a nervous goblin slave. Come, yuck, yuck, Malice said in a comforting tone. Anxious to please, the slave bounded up before Malice's throne and held perfectly still as the matron mother went through the incantation of a long and complicated spell. Brisa and Maya watched in admiration at their mother's skills. The little goblin's features bulged and twisted, and the skin darkened. A few minutes later, the slave had assumed the appearance of a male drow. Biyukyuk looked at its features happily, not understanding the trans that the transformation was merely a prelude to death. You are a drow soldier now, Maya said to it, and my champion. You must kill only a single inferior fighter to take your place as a free commoner of House Dorden. After ten years as an indentured servant to the wicked Dark Elves, the goblin was more than eager. Malice rose and started out of the anteroom. Come, she ordered, and her two daughters, the goblin and the animated chest, fell in line behind her. They came upon Drizzt in the practice room, polishing the razor edge of his scimitars. He leaped straight up to the silent attention at the sight of the unexpected visitors. "'Greetings, my son,' Malice said in a tone more motherly than Drizzt had ever heard. "'We have a test for you this day, a simple task necessary for your acceptance into Mille McFerry.' Maya moved before her brother. "'I am the youngest.' Beside yourself, she declared. Thus I am granted the rights of challenge, which I now execute. Driz, still confused, he had never heard of such a thing. Maya called the chest to her side and reverently opened the cover. You have your weapons and your piwafui, she explained. Now it is time for you to don the complete outfit of a noble of House Dorden. From the chest she pulled out a pair of high black boots and handed them to Drizzt. Drizzt eagerly slipped out of his normal boots and put on the new ones. They were incredibly soft, and they magically shifted and adjusted to a perfect fit on his feet. Drizzt knew the magic within them. They would allow him to move in absolute silence. Before he had even finished admiring them, though, Maya gave him the next gift, even more magnificent. Drizzt dropped his piwafu to the floor as he took a set of silvery chainmail. In all the realms there was no armor as supple and finely crafted as drow chainmail. It weighed no more than a heavy shirt and would bend as easily as silken cloth, yet could deflect the tip of a spear as surely as a dwarven-crafted plate-mail. "'You fight with two weapons,' Maya said, "'and therefore no need no shield. But put your scimitars in this. It is more fitting to a drow noble.' She handed Drizzt a black leather belt— his clasp a huge emerald and his two scabbards richly decorated in jewels and gemstones. Prepare yourself, Malice said to Drizzt. The gifts must be earned. As Drizzt started to don the outfit, Malice moved inside the altered goblin, which stood nervously in the growing realization that its fight would be no simple task. When you kill him, the items will be yours. Malice promised. The goblin's smile returned tenfold. It could not comprehend that it had no chance against Drizzt. When Drizzt again fastened the Pawafwi around his neck, Maya introduced the phony drow soldier. 
This Biakyak, she said, my champion. You must defeat him to earn the gifts and your proper place in the family. Never doubting his abilities and thinking the contest to be a simple sparring match, Trista readily agreed. Let it begin, then, he said, drawing his scimitars from their lavish sheaths. Malice gave Biak Biak a comforting nod, and the goblin took up the sword and shield that Maya had provided and moved right in at Trist. Trist began slowly, trying to take a measure of his opponent before attempting any daring offensive strikes. In only a moment, though, Drizzt realized how badly Bjorkbjörk handled the sword and shield. Not knowing the truth of the creature's identity, Drizzt could hardly believe that a drow would show such ineptitude with weapons. He wondered if Bjorkbjörk was baiting him, and with that thought continued his cautious approach. After a few more moments of Bjorkbjörk's wild and off-balance swings, however, Drizzt felt compelled to take the initiative. He slapped one scimitar against Bjorkbjörk's shield. The goblin drow responded with a lumbering thrust, and Drizzt slapped its sword from its hand with his free blade and executed a simple twist that brought the scimitar's tip to a halt against the hollow of Bjorkbjörk's chest. Too easy, Drizzt muttered under his breath, but the true test had only begun. On cue, Brisa cast a mind-numbing spell on the goblin, freezing it in its helpless position. Still aware of his predicament, Bjork Bjork tried to dive away, but Brisa's spell held it still. Finish the strike, Malice said to Drizzt. Drizzt looked at his scimitar, then to Malice, unable to believe that he was what he was hearing. Maya's champion must be killed, Brisa snarled. I cannot, Drizzt began. Kill, Malice roared, and this time the word carried the weight of a magical command. Thrust, Brisa likewise commanded. Drizzt felt the words compelling his hand to action. Thoroughly disgusted with the thought of murdering a helpless foe, he concentrated with all of his mental strength to resist. While he managed to deny the commands for a few seconds, Drizzt found that he could not pull the weapon away. Kill, Malice screamed. Strike! yelled Brisa. It went on for several more agonizing seconds. Sweat beaded on Drizzt's brow. Then the young drow's willpower broke. His scimitar slipped quickly between Bjork Bjork's ribs and found the unfortunate creature's heart. Brisa released Bjork Bjork from her holding spell then to let Drizzt see the agony on the phony drow's face and hear the gurgles of the dying Bjork Bjork slipped to the floor. Drizzt could not find his breath as he stared at his blood-stained weapon. It was Maya's turn to act. She clipped Drizzt on the shoulder with her mace, knocking him to the floor. "'You killed my champions,' she growled. "'Now you must fight me!' Drizzt rolled back to his feet, away from the enraged female. He had no intention of fighting, but before he could even drop his weapons, Malice read his thoughts and warned, "'If you do not fight, Maya will kill you.' This is not the way, Driz protested, but his words were lost in the ring of Adam and Tite as he parried a heavy blow with one scimitar. He was now into it, whether he liked it or not. Maya was a skilled fighter. All females spent many hours training with weapons, and she was stronger than Drizzt. But Drizzt was Zack's son, a prime student, and when he admitted to himself that he had no way out of this predicament, he came in at Maya's mason shield with every cunning maneuver he had been taught. Scimitars weaved and dipped in a dance that awed Brisa and Maya. Malice hardly noticed, caught in the midst of yet another mighty spell. Malice never doubted that Driz could defeat his sister, and she had incorporated her expectations into the plan. Driz's moves were all defensive as he continued to hope for some semblance of sanity to come over his mother, and that this whole thing would be stopped. He wanted to back Maya up, cause her to stumble, and end the fight by putting her in a helpless position. Driss had to believe that Brisa and Malice would not compel him to kill Maya as he ha had killed Bjorkbjork. Finally, Maya did slip. She threw her shield out to deflect an arcing scimitar, but became overbalanced in the block, and her arm went wide. Driss's other blade knifed in, only to nick Maya's breast and force her back. Malice's spell caught the weapon in mid-thrust. The blood-stained adamantite blade writhed to life, and Driz found himself holding the tail of a serpent, a fanged viper that turned back against him. 
The enchanted snake spat at venom in Drizzt's eyes, blinding him. Then he felt the pain of Brees's whip. All six stake heads of the awful weapon bit into Drizzt's back, tearing through his new armor and jolting him in excruciating pain. He crumbled down into a crow position, helpless as Brisa snapped the whip in again and again. Never strike a drought, female! She screamed as she beat Drizzt into unconsciousness. An hour later, Drizzt opened his eyes. He was in his bed, Matron Malice standing over him. The high priestess had tended to his wounds, but the sting remained, a vivid reminder of the lesson. But it was not nearly as vivid as the blood that still stained Drizzt's scimitar. The armor will be replaced, Malice said to him. You are a drow warrior now. You have earned it. She turned and walked out of the room, leaving Drizzt to his pain and his fallen innocence. Do not send him, Zack argued as emphatically as he dared. He stared up at Matron Malice, the smug queen on her high throne of stone and black velvet. As always, Brisa and Maya stood obediently by her sides. He is a drow fighter, Malice replied, her tone still controlled. He must go to the academy, it is our way. Zack looked around helplessly. He hated this place. The chapel anteroom, with its sculptures of the Spider Queen leering down at him from every angle, and with Malice sitting, towering above him from her seat of power. Zack shook the images away and regained his courage, reminding himself that this time he had something worth arguing about. "'Do not send him!' he growled. "'They will ruin him!' Major Malice's hands clenched down on the rock arms of her great, char, great chair. Already Drizzt is more skilled than half of those in the academy, Zack continued quickly, before the matron's anger burst forth. Allow me two more years, and I will make him the finest swordsman in all of Menzelberanzen. Malice is back on her seat. From what she had seen of her son's progress, she could not deny the possibilities of Zack's claim. He goes, she said calmly. There is more to the making of a drow warrior than skill with weapons. Drizzt has other lessons he must learn. Lessons of treachery, Zack spat, too angry to care about the consequences. Drizzt had told him what Malice and her evil daughters had done that day, and Zack was wise enough to understand their actions. Their lesson had nearly broken the boy, and had, perhaps, forever stolen from Drizzt the ideals he held so dear. Drizzt would find his morals and principles harder to cling to now that the pedestal purity had been knocked out from under him. Watch your tongue, Zacnafian, Matron Malice warned. I fight with passion, the weapon master snapped. That is why I win. Your son, too, fights with passion. Do not let the conforming ways of the academy take that from him. Leave us, Malice instructed her daughters. Maya bowed and rushed out through the door. Brisa followed more slowly, pausing to cast a suspicious eye upon Zack. Zack didn't return the glare, but he entertained a fantasy concerning the sword and Brisa's smug smile. Zack Nathian, Mouth began, again coming forward in her chair. I have tolerated your blasphemous beliefs through these many years because of your skill with weapons. You have taught my soldiers well, and your love of killing drow, particularly clerics of the Spider Queen, has aided the ascent of House Dorden. I am not, and have not been, ungrateful. But I warn you now, one final time, that Drizzt is my son, and not his sire's. He will go to the academy and learn what he must to take the place as a prince of House Dorden. If you interfere with what must be, Zagnathian, I will no longer turn my eyes from your actions. Your heart will be given to Loth. Zack stamped his heels on the floor and snapped a short bow of his head, then spun about and departed, trying to find some option in this dark, hopeless picture. As he made his way through the main corridor, he again heard in his mind the screams of the dying children of House Devere, children who never got the chance to witness the evils of the Drow Academy. Perhaps they were better off dead.
Chapter 11 Grim Preference Zack slid one of his swords from its scabbard and admired the weapon's wondrous detail. This sword, as with most of the drow weapons, had been forged by the Grey Dwarves, then traded to Menza Branzen. The Dwargar workmanship was exquisite, but it was the work done on the weapon after the Dark Elves had acquired it that made it so very special. None of the races of the surface or Underdark could outdo the Dark Elves in the art of enchanting weapons. Imbued with the strange emanations of the Underdark, the magical power unique to the lightless world, and blessed by the unholy clerics of Loth, no blade ever sat in a wielder's hand more ready to kill. Other races, mostly dwarves and surface elves, also took pride in their crafty weapons. Fine swords and mighty hammers hung over mantles as showpieces, always with a bard nearby to spout the accompanying legend that most often began, In the days of yore! Drow weapons were different, never showpieces. They were locked in the necessities of the present, never in reminiscences, and their purpose remained unchanged, for as long as they held a fine edge, enough for battle, fine enough to kill. Zack brought the blade up before his eyes. His hands. The sword had become more than an instrument of battle. It was an extension of his rage, his answer to an existence he could not accept. It was his answer, too, perhaps, to another problem that seemed to have no resolution. He walked into the training hall, where Drizzt was hard at work, spinning attack routines against a practice dummy. Zack paused to watch the young drow at practice, wondering if Drizzt would ever again consider the dance of weapons a form of play. How the scimitars flowed in Drizzt's hands, interweaving with uncanny precision. Each blade seemed to anticipate the other's moves and word about in perfect complement. This young drow might soon be an unrivaled fighter, a master beyond Zaknafi and himself. Can you survive? Zack whispered. Have you the heart of a drow warrior? Zack hoped that the answer would be an emphatic no, but either way, Drist was surely doomed. Zack looked down at his sword again and knew that he mu what he must do. He slid its sister blade from its sheath and started a determined walk toward Drizzt. Drizzt saw him coming and turned at the ready. A final fight before I leave for the academy, he laughed. Zack paused and take note of Drizzt's smile. A facade, or had the young drow really forgiven himself for his actions against Maya's champion? It did not matter. Zack reminded himself. Even if Drizzt had recovered from his mother's torments, the academy would destroy him. The weapon master said nothing. He just came in on a flurry of cuts and stabs that put Drizzt immediately on the defensive. Drizzt took his stride, not yet realizing that this final encounter with his mentor was much more than their customary sparring. I will remember everything you have taught me, Drizzt promised, dodging a cut and launching a fierce counter of his own. I will carve my name in the holes of Mele Methagri and make you proud. The scowl on Zack's face surprised Drizzt, and the young drow grew even more confused when the weapon master's next attacks on the sword knifing straight at his heart. Drizzt leaped aside, slapping at the blade in sheer desperation and narrowly avoided impalement. "'Are you so very sure of yourself?' Zack growled, stubbornly pursuing Drizzt. Drizzt set himself as their blades met in a ringing fury. "'I am a fighter,' he declared, "'a drow warrior!' "'You are a dancer,' Zack shot back in a derisive tone. "'He slammed his sword into Driz, blocking Simvatar so savagely that the young drow's arm tingled. "'An impostor,' Zack cried. "'A pretender to a title you cannot begin to understand.' Drizzt went on the offensive. Fires burned in his lavender eyes, and the new strength guided his scimitar's sure cuts.' But Zack was relentless. He fended the attacks and continued his lesson. Do you know the emotions of murder? He spat. Have you reconciled yourself to the act you committed? Driss's only answers were a frustrated growl and a renewed attack. Ah, the pleasure of plunging your sword into the bosom of a high priestess, Zack taunted. To see the light of warmth leave her body while her lips utter silent curses in your face? Or have you ever heard the screams of dying children? 
Trist let up his attack, but Zack would not allow a break. The weapon master came back on the offensive, each thrust aimed for a vital area. How loud those screams, Zack continued. They echo over the centuries in your mind. They chase you down the paths of your entire life. Zack halted the action so that Drist might weigh his every word. You have never heard them, have you, dancer? The weapon master stretched his arms out wide in invitation. Come, then, and claim your second kill, he said, tapping his stomach. In the belly where the pain is greatest, so that my screams may echo in your mind. Prove to me that you are the drow warrior you claim to be. The tips of Driz's scimitar slowly made their way to the stone floor. He wore no smile now. You hesitate. Zack laughed at him. This is your chance to make your name. A single thrust and you will send a reputation into the academy before you. Other students, even masters, will whisper your name as you pass. Driz Dorden, they will say. The boy who slew the most honored weapon master in all of Menza Baranzin. Is this not what you desire? Damn you, Driz spat back as he made no move to attack. Drow warrior... Zack chided him. Do not be so quick to claim a title you cannot begin to understand. Driz came in then, and a fury he had never before known. His purpose was not to kill, but to defeat his teacher, to steal the taunts from Zack's mouth with a fighting display too impressive to be derided. Drist was brilliant. He followed every move with three others and worked Zack low and high, inside and out wide. Zack found his heels under him more often than the balls of his feet. Too involved was he in staying away from his student's relentless thrust to even think of taking the offensive. So he allowed Driz to continue the initiative for many minutes, dreading the conclusion, the outcome he had already decided to be the most preferable. Zack then found that he could stand the delay no longer. He sent one sword out in a lazy thrust, and Driz promptly slapped the weapon out of his hand. Even as the young drow came in, came on in anticipation of victory, Zack slipped his empty hand into a pouch and grabbed the magical little ceramic ball, one of those that so often had aided him in battle. Not this time, Zacknafian Drizzt proclaimed, keeping his attacks under control, remembering well the many occasions that Zack reversed feigned disadvantage into clear advantage. Zack fingered the ball, unable to come to terms with what he must do. Drist walked him through an attack sequence, then another, measuring the advantage he had gained in stealing a weapon. Confident of his position, Drist came in low and hard with a single thrust. Though Zack was distracted at the time, he still managed to block the attack with his remaining sword. Drist's other scimitar slashed down on top of the sword, pinning its tip to the floor. In the same lightning movement, Drist slipped his first blade free of Zack's parry and brought it up and around, stopping the thrust barely an inch from Zack's throat. Have you, I have you, the drow, young drow cried. Zack's answer came in an explosion of light beyond anything Drizzt had ever imagined. Zack had prudently closed his eyes, but Drizzt, surprised, could not accept the sudden change. His head burned in agony, and he reeled backwards, trying to get away from the light, away from the weapon master. Keeping his eyes tightly shut, Zack had already divorced himself from the need of vision. He let his keen ears guide him now, and Drizzt, shuffling and stumbling, was an, an easy target to discern. In a single motion, the whip came off Zack's belt and lashed out, catching Drizzt around the ankles and dropping him to the floor. Methodically, the weapon master came on, dreading every strip and knowing dreading every step, but knowing his chosen course of action to be correct. Drizzt realized that he was being stalked, but he could not understand the motive. The light had stunned him, but he was more surprised by Zack's continuation of the battle. Drizzt set himself, unable to escape the trap, and tried to think his way around the loss of sight. He had to feel the flow of battle, to hear the sounds of his attacker, and anticipate each coming strike. He brought his scimitars up just in time to block a sword chop that would have split his skull. Zack hadn't expected the parry. He recoiled and came in from a different angle. Again, he was foiled. Now more curious than wanting to kill Drizzt, the weapon master went through a series of attacks, sending his sword into motions that would have sliced through the defensive 
many who could see him. Blinded, Drizzt fought him off, putting a scimitar in line with each new thrust. Treachery! Drizzt yelled, painful residual explosion from the bright light still bursting inside his head. He blocked another attack and tried to regain his footing, realizing that he had little chance of continuing to fend off the weapon master from a prone position. The pain of the stinging light was too great, though, and Drizzt, barely holding the edge of consciousness, stumbled back to the stone. Losing one scimitar in the process, he spun over wildly, knowing that Zack was closing in. The other scimitar was knocked from his hand. Treachery! Drizzt growled again. Do you hate me to lose? Do you not understand? Zack yelled back at him. To lose is to die. You may win a thousand fights, but you can only lose one. He put his sword in line with Drizzt's throat. It, it would be a single clean blow. He knew that he should do it mercifully before the masses of the academy got hold of his charge. Zack sent his sword spinning across the room, and he reached out with his empty hands, grabbed Drizzt by the front of his shirt, and hoisted him to his feet. They stood face to face, neither seeing the other very well in the blinding glare, and neither able to break the tense silence. After a long and breathless moment, the dwarmer of the enchanted pebble faded, and the room became more comfortable. Truly, the two dark elves looked upon each other in a different light. A trick of Loth's clerics, Zack explained. Always they keep such a spell of light at the ready. A strained smile crossed his face as he tried to ease Drizzt's anger. Although I dare say that I have turned such light against clerics, even high priestesses, more than a few times. Treachery! Drizzt spat a third time. It is our way, Zack replied. You will learn. It is your way! snarled Driz. You grin when you speak of murdering clerics of the Spider Queen. Do you so enjoy killing? Killing drow? Zack could not find an answer to the accusing question. Driz's words hurt him profoundly because they rang of truth, and because Zack had come to view his penchant for killing clerics of law as a cowardly response to his own unanswerable frustrations. But you have killed me, Driz said bluntly. But I did not. Zack retorted, and now you live to go to the academy, to take a dagger in the back because you are blind to the realities of our world, because you refuse to acknowledge what your people are. Or you will become one of them, Zack growled. Either way, the Drizzt Orden I have known will surely die. Drizzt's face twisted, and he couldn't even find the words to dispute the possibilities Zack was spitting at him. He felt the blood drained from his face. Though his heart raged, he walked away, letting his glare linger on Zack for many steps. "'Go then, Drizdorden!' Zack cried after him. "'Go to the academy and bask in the glory of your prowess. Remember, though, the consequences of such skills. Always there are consequences.' Zack retreated to the security of his private chamber. The door to the room closed behind the weapon master with such a sound of finality that it spun Zack back to face its empty stone. Go then, Drizdorden, he whispered in quiet lament. Go to the academy and learn who you really are. Diddin came for his brother early the next morning. Driz slowly left the training room, looking back over his shoulder every few steps to see if Zack would come out and attack him again or bid him farewell. He knew in his heart that Zack would not. Trist had thought them friends. He be had believed that the beyond he and Zagnafian had sown went far beyond the simple lessons in swordplay. The young drow had no answers to the many questions spinning in his mind, and the person who had been his teacher for the last five years had nothing left to offer him. The heat grows in our bundle, Dinan remarked when they stepped out of, onto the balcony. We must not be late for your first day in the academy. Just looked out at the myriad colors and shapes that composed Nunza Brandon. What is this place? he whispered, realizing how little he knew of his homeland beyond the walls of his own house. Zack's words, Zack's rage pressed in on Drizzt as he stood there, reminding him of his ignorance and hinting at a dark path ahead. 
This is the world, Denon replied, though Driz's question had been rhetorical. Do not worry, second boy, he laughed, moving up onto the railing. You will learn of Menzel Branson in the academy. You will learn who you are and who your people are. The, the declaration unsettled Drizzt. Perhaps, remembering his last bitter encounter with the drow he had most trusted, that knowledge was exactly what he was afraid of. He shrugged in resignation and followed Dinan over the balcony in a magical descent to the compound floor. The first steps down that dark path. Another set of eyes watched intently as Dinan and Drizzt started out of House Dorden. Alton de Vere sat quietly against the side of a gigantic mushroom, as he had every day for the last week, staring at the Dorden complex. Damn Nashezebernen, ninth house of Menzelberanzen, the house that had murdered his matron, his sisters and brothers, and all there ever was of House de Vere except for Holton. Alton thought back to the days of House de Vere when Matron Jennifer had gathered the family members together so that they might discuss their aspirations. Alton, just a student when House de Vere fell, now had a greater insight to those times. Twenty years had brought a wealth of experience. Jennifer had been the youngest matron among the ruling families, and her potential had seemed unlimited. Then she had aided a gnomish patrol, had used her loft-given powers to hinder the drow elves that had ambushed the little people in the caverns outside Mental Branson, all because Jennifer desired the death of a single member of that attacking drow party, a wizard son of the city's third house, the house labeled as House de Vere's next victim. The Spider Queen took exception to Jennifer's choice of weapons, Deep gnomes were the Dark Elf's worst enemy in the hole of the Dark Elf, in the hole of the Underdark. With Jennifer fallen out of Loth's favor, House de Vere had been doomed. Alton had spent twenty years trying to learn of his enemies, trying to discover which drow family had taken advantage of his mother's mistake and had slaughtered his kin. Twenty long years, and then his adopted matron, Santa Fe Honette, had ended his quest as abruptly as it had begun. Now, as Alton sat watching the guilty house, he knew only one thing for certain. Twenty years had done nothing to diminish his rage. And that is the end of chapter... Which chapter is it? Chapter 11. <laughs> of R.A. Salvatore's Legend of... Of R.A. Salvatore's Legend of Drizzt, Book 1, Homeland. Also known as Book 1 of the Dark Elf Trilogy. Thank you everybody for listening. I apologize for some of the mistakes I had made, but again, it is a dramatic reading. This is just for fun, and I do so enjoy entertaining. Thank you so much again. Until next time, we shall pick up with part three. Thank you and good day.